You guys came in, there should have been a handout on your chair. For some reason, you didn't get one or want another one. There are some extras on the little tall table in the back. And look, like there's a couple extras up here near the front where people don't ever want to sit. <clears throat> Except the Martins, braving the front row. There you go. <laughs> Good. I told, um, I sent the email about bring your Colossians journals if you guys have them. And Elizabeth said, I don't even know if I remember where mine is. <laughs> That's how long it's been. That's how long it's been, right? So uh, we started Colossians uh, on January, I think it was the 18th or the 29th of 2020. So that means we were in it for roughly a year, 40 messages. And I think we know there's a a place for reading like fast through God's Word, reading the whole book of Colossians in one setting. And there's also a place for taking our time and studying God's Word, which is what we did. And I pray that as we have treasured uh, Christ's preeminence through the book of Colossians, that it's had an impact on our lives. And I'm guessing it's, it's probably always true, if God's Word is living and active, that it had an impact on us as it studied us in ways we're not even aware of. Um, but, but I asked you guys to share with me ways that you are aware of how God worked, and a couple of you guys got back to me. So I'm going to ask Tessa to come on up here, uh, Andrew to come up here, and Casey to come up here. And they're just going to share real quick. Um, and some of these are just really brief, just a couple sentences, but I asked them if they would just share just how God met them as we spent time in Colossians together and how God has used Colossians in their lives. So they're just going to share real quick, and then we're going to jump into the finishing of the book. Um, <clears throat> can you hear through my mask? Is that fine? Uh, so uh, what stood out to me from this whole series, probably more than anything, is impacted my life is from the way beginning, like a, a year ago or whatever. Um, Paul's prayer for the Colossians um, has been, just been really impactful to me. Um, and something that I have put into practice praying for myself and for my friends and for my family, that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will um, so that we can walk in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord, bearing fruit in every good work, and that he would strengthen us by his spirit to do that because it's really hard, um, and that we would just be filled with gratitude in light of what he's done for us and how he walks with us. So it's just been really impactful to me and my prayer life, and I pray it for you guys, and I pray it for myself. So. Thank you, Matt. Um, So when I think back on the series in Colossians, the two messages that I think about that impacted me most were the one on rejoicing and suffering and the parenting. Um, When Matt preached uh, March 8th, 2020, it was just before we went into pandemic lockdown, and God only knew how much I needed to hear the message on suffering for the coming year. (laughs) I think the whole church really felt that was timely. Um, If maturity in Christ is my goal, then do I embrace suffering and discomfort? In 2020, we faced challenges of distance learning. My husband, Jim, broke his leg, and I had a resurgence of depression battles um, after his leg was broken. Um, But God had still been faithful to us and encouraged us from Colossians 1. 24 through 29, um, that we can rejoice in suffering and affliction because he's making us more like himself. And, um, and then the other message was on parenting. Parenting in the name of the Lord was another impactful word. At the outset of the new year, um, earlier this year, when we were doing resolutions, it was a great time to hear <laughs> encouragement on how we can love our children better. Um, Jim and I have since discussed specific ways that we have provoked our kids in parenting Um, and found hope to give them more grace. For me, the message revealed where I had leaned too much into making everything about sin, 
and judging our kids' motives instead of giving them um, grace. And it showed me where I can receive and give more mercy to our kids. Um, so praise God for growing our church and bearing much fruit through the book of Colossians. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, has become one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. I honestly get excited when I read it and meditate upon it. And praise to Jesus really fills me and excites me. Particularly that in everything, he might be preeminent. Um, Matt referred to this as the crescendo of, the, of what is probably a song there in, in Colossians chapter 1. Anyway, I, don't, I have thought about this truth frequently since that sermon we heard in February of last year. And actually to say frequently is, 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 is almost an understatement. Uh, anyway, do you, I was wondering if you remembered what he spoke of on that, that day. Um, Christ is the preeminent God. He is preeminent creator. He is preeminent sustainer. And he is preeminent head. And uh, I don't like to, uh, to, to go off script, but I just want to say one of the things that Matt spoke of when, uh, in that sermon was with that Jesus is preeminent sustainer. And he spoke about how Jesus is actively, continuously, all the time sustaining us. And that, that, that really flipped me out. That really flipped me out. Jesus is preeminent in everything. And I, sometimes when I think about this, I want to like do fist pumps in the air because I get fired up. I recall listening to that sermon on that Sunday, but then listening to it again on the website a few days later. And that second time listening is when the Holy Spirit really seemed to direct my mind to this truth that Jesus is preeminent in everything. It was like a new and exciting truth that I had never heard because I had never noticed it before. So it was new and exciting to me. This truth, and this is, an, and I'm not exaggerating here, it just, and I don't know why the Holy Spirit has chosen this for, to, to, to move me on this particular verse, but it permeates my days every day. I'm always thinking about it. And it brings me joy and comfort. And actually, when Matt taught us in a recent video about the two major themes in Hebrews, one of them was that Jesus is better. He's a better priest. He's better than angels, better than Moses. While he was preaching that on the video, I was thinking to myself, duh, makes sense. I mean, he's preeminent in everything. Colossians 1, verse 18, is the verse on the lock screen of my phone. Not that I need to be reminded anymore. This wonderful truth that Jesus is preeminent and preeminent in everything has really left my heart. I just love to see it and read it. Just ask the three of them to elaborate more, and that could have been the message. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to put some stuff down there. Thank you, guys. Encouraging, encouraging stuff. I, don't, I mean, that's a year ago. I don't remember some of this stuff. I'm like, I said that? I, what? We studied that? Like, I guess we did study that together. So praise the Lord for that. 
So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to finish the book of Colossians. So if you are there and you want to look at the very last verse, verse 18. Here's what it says. This is Colossians 4, verse 18. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. A lot could be said about these three sentences. Sermons could be preached on each of these sentences. But this morning, I want to just focus on the very last sentence. Grace be with you. Grace be with you. We believe that all scripture is breathed out by God. It's there for a purpose. So we believe these four little words are meant to help us to see the preeminence of Christ more vividly. That's why they're there. Grace be with you. So how important is this phrase? What does it mean? What difference does that phrase make tomorrow morning when you roll out of bed? Well, to answer these questions, we need to begin this morning by looking at the similarities and the differences between how Paul starts his letter and how he ends his letter. How he starts his letter and how he ends his letter. So go back to chapter 1 with me for a second. And I want you to look at verse 2 at how he begins. He begins this way. To the saints, this is Colossians 1, 2, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you. So he goes from grace be with you at the end, but he began with grace to you. So this letter is bookended with grace. It has grace at the beginning, and it has grace at the end. Now, I want to show you something really crazy, something that I did not realize until I started studying this passage, and that is that this grace greeting and grace ending is not an isolated incident for Paul in Colossians. In fact, Paul begins every one of his letters with grace to you, and ends every one of his letters with grace be with you. And I don't think that's a coincidence. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at them really fast. We're going to put them up on the screen, and you're going to see them. And I'm just going to highlight them as we go through them. Now, Paul's letters in our Bible, man has arranged uh, uh, his letters in order of largest to smallest, starting with letters to churches. There's nine of those. And then he goes into four letters to individuals, and those are also in the order of longest to shortest. So we're going to look at them. You're going to see them in that order. I'm ready. Here we go. So I want you to do is we're going to look at this. So Romans, we're going to start in Romans. We're going to go all the way down through 2 Thessalonians. So, or Philemon. Romans begins with grace to you. Romans ends with grace be with you. Sound familiar? Next. 1 Corinthians begins with grace to you, ends with grace be with you. 2 Corinthians begins with, ends with, 3 Corinthians, Galatians, <laughs> begins with, and it ends with, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Same phrase. So Ephesians begins with, to you, it ends with, grace be with all. And then we already know Colossians, so we did it. Philippians, I'm sorry, Philippians, then we'll skip Colossians, we already just did it. We can skip it, skip back, Philippians, my fault. Excellent. Philippians begins with, Ends with, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And then Colossians, which we already looked at. 
First Thessalonians, he says, grace to you. And it ends with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Second Thessalonians begins with and ends with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And then we have that's all right. I love you anyway. Two, two Timothy. See, this is where the nuance is a little different because now he's, the next four he's writing to individuals. And so when he gets to Timothy, he's going to say, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace. So he says, to Timothy, grace. And then he ends, oh, Timothy, grace be with you. And then second Timothy, he's going to do the same thing. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace. So to Timothy, grace to you. And then he's going to end with, the Lord be with your spirit, grace be with you. And then we have Titus, to Titus, my true child in the common faith, grace. So to Titus, grace. And then he ends with, grace be with you all. And then we have Philemon. Begins with grace to you. Ends with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be with your spirit. That's the last one, right? Good. Thirteen of them. So everyone begins with grace to you, and everyone ends grace be with you. And we believe that no words in our Bible are haphazardly slapped on the page, but they're active and living, and they're there for a purpose. So if that's true, then the book ending of every one of Paul's letters with grace must be intentional, must be purposeful, and must be powerful. This book ending with grace, it should mean something to us. When you realize that, you should go, oh man, he starts with grace. He ends with grace. He begins with grace. He closes with grace. He's trying to tell us something about grace. So what do we learn from this book ending? I want to give you a couple of things that I see in this book ending of grace in Paul's letters. The first thing is this. I think he does it this way to ensure that everything he writes is understood in the context of grace. He wants to make sure that everything we read is understood in the context of grace. So he begins and ends his letter with grace. So when he talks about doctrine in the middle, heavy truths, it's to be grounded in grace. When he talks about how we're to live in light of those glorious truths, it's all about grace. When it comes to relationship with God, it's about grace. When it comes to relationship with people, it's about grace. There's no topic, no issue, no action, no warning that is to be studied, understood, or applied unless it's smothered in grace. So in Colossians, everything we've studied, and I I think we've done this, certainly room to grow, but the goal is to make sure that everything we studied in Colossians was studied in an atmosphere and understood in an atmosphere of grace. So we don't remember these. I don't remember some of them. I'm trying to fit fit together all the sermons and all the topics we touched on. But remember, Tyler preached on serving from the last part of chapter 4. And it was all about how to serve because of grace or the power of grace. Jordan did a message on work, whether it's work at home or work outside the home, and how it needs to be grounded in grace. We did marriage sermons. They were all about grace. Parenting was all about grace. We talked about putting sins on and uh, putting sins off and putting righteousness on and how that is supposed to be done in the joy of grace. So everything in Colossians really needs to be nuanced and understood in the category of grace. How does grace inform everything that we read in Paul's letters? So that's the first thing I think we see. The second is this, and that is that when we read about this grace, it is the grace that is from God, and it is the grace of Jesus. I don't know if you caught that. We're going to look at the slides again, and Ruth was kind enough to remake them, only highlighting other words. So we're going to look at those really quick. I just want to catch the rhythm that's in all of these verses. So Is this the order they're going to be in? They're not. Random. I love it. Okay, good. Okay, so 
First Thessalonians does not begin the same as some of the other ones, but it ends with the grace of our Lord Jesus. You're going to scroll through them. So the next one, it's the grace to you and peace from God, and then it ends with the grace of the Lord Jesus. So notice the pattern. From God, and then this one doesn't end. This is grace with you, but it's from God and Christ. Next. So it's from God, the Father, and Jesus Christ. That's how it that's how Titus begins, from God. Second Timothy, from God, it begins. Philemon begins with from God, and then it ends with the grace of the Lord Jesus. Oh, okay. We didn't do Romans. Let me do Romans for you. Romans begins with, the, with grace to you from God, ends with the grace of the Lord Jesus. First Corinthians begins with grace to you from God, and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you is how it ends. So anyway, there's this pattern of from God and of the Lord Jesus. From God and, from the Lord, and of the Lord Jesus. So it seems like this grace that comes to us, we realize it's not just coming from outer space. It comes from God, and it is of Jesus. It comes down from God and flows through the person of Jesus. That means that your life is going, is going from beginning with grace to ending with grace. That every day you live is bookended with grace from God. It's his grace that comes to us. So now's a good time to stop and make sure we all understand how we define the word grace. What do we mean when we say the word grace? So I want to do that before we continue on to make sure we all have a good working definition of grace. Grace is this. It is God blessing those who deserve punishment. It is God's kindness to those who deserve wrath. It is God's, God's favor to those who deserve destruction, his blessing to those who deserve wrath, his kindness to those who have earned punishment. Now, when you hear that, you should feel a massive chasm between the blessing, what we get, and what we deserve. Because they are massively, diametrically opposed to one another. They're opposites. Now, before we move on, let me show you in Scripture where we get this definition from. And I, I, we're going to go through a lot of verses this morning, and so I don't have time to—this is not how we usually do things, but I don't have time to go into the nuances of each one of these verses. But I just want to show you two real quick so you can see where we get this idea of grace being a gift and not being merited. So you want to put the Romans verses up? All right, so—all right, let's see how am I going to do this. Um, what I wanted you to see in this was uh, the idea of free gift— so you guys who are smart, look at it really fast. Tell me how many times you see the word free gift in this. Five? Five? Okay, so I got five free gifts. Now tell me how many times you see the word grace. Three, four. Okay, so this is not usually the typical way we study God's word, by just pulling <laughs> random words out. If we're gonna, I'm gonna, you're going to have to bring this home. You're going to have to re- write this down, Romans 5, and read it. It's all about how grace is a free gift. That's what that's about. 
It's a free gift. And so the next verse clarifies that even more, and it's much shorter. That's okay. This one says this. I love this. So two, at the present time, there's a remnant. It's talking about Israel. They're a remnant chosen by grace. Listen to this. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Here it is. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. (laughs) So grace and works don't go together. If it's works, then it can't be grace. And if it's grace, then it can't have works. So, So they don't go together. So grace is a gift of God. Grace is God saying, you deserve punishment, I'm going to bless. You deserve eternal damnation, and I am going to show favor on you. That's grace. And again, when you hear that definition, we should hear that there is a huge gap between what we've earned, what we deserve, and how we're being treated. So let's think about it this way. If you were to tally up all of the good things you did this week, all the ways that you obeyed, all the ways that you um, did the right thing, all of the ways that you were righteous and gave good counsel to people and obeyed and, and had good fruit in your life. If you were to put them all together into a PowerPoint and present it to God, or maybe in multiple TikToks, and you were to say, God, here's my TikToks of my good works, God would not look down on that and go, wow, so impressive, I just have to bless you now. He would never say that. And if he did, then none of your blessings would be based on grace anymore. They'd be based on how good you behave. And if you know yourself as well as I know myself, I don't want to operate with God that way. I think it was Jerry Bridges who said, um, if God's blessing were based on my performance, they would be meager indeed. If God's blessing is based on how good I am, There's no blessing. (laughs) And then it wouldn't be grace. See, when God looks at us and evaluates our actions and our thoughts and our motives and our works and our emotions, he does it in comparison to his perfect standard. And when he does that, he has to declare us not worthy of blessing. Make sure we get that. He sees our rebellion to his kingship as we complain about the ways things are going in our lives. He sees how I love myself, I love my things, I love my plans, I love my time, I love my glory over his. He sees what I desire, what I love, what I treasure, what I give the best of my time and energy to, and the dozens of other things that trump him. And he sees it, and he knows it. And no matter how hard I try, even if I wanted to try to earn his blessing, I could never be worthy of it. Because you'd never be good enough. I mean, you got to really believe that. I could never be good enough to earn God's blessing. On my best day, he is not impressed with my good works to such an extent that he says, now I can't resist blessing you anymore. Every human, really, that has ever lived deserves, here's what we deserve, not the blessings. We deserve homelessness. We deserve starvation, sickness, friendlessness. I deserve to be afflicted, abandoned by God, and eternally punished. That's what I deserve. Grace is when God does the opposite to what we deserve. So we can conclude this morning, anything short of death is grace. (laughs) Anybody dying? I don't see anybody heart attacks, strokes. We're all good. Grace. You're alive. Grace, if you're alive, grace. 
Because anything short of death really is God giving his grace to us. Now, what I want to do here is I want to take a few moments now. Paul's going to begin every one of his letters with grace and end in grace. I want to expand our understanding of grace. I want to make sure that as we think about this, what are the blessings that come from God when I deserve punishment? I want us to enlarge our understanding of what grace looks like then. Because grace comes to us in a variety of forms to accomplish a variety of things. You hear that? Grace comes to us in a variety of forms to accomplish a variety of things. Grace is multifaceted. Let me describe it this way. Anybody take vitamins? Any kids take those little Flintstone vitamins? I love those. They taste so good. So you, you take a little vitamin, right? And it, it's it accomplishes a lot of different stuff, right? It's supposed to. I'm not promoting vitamins. I'm not against vitamins. <clears throat> but right, right, it's got all these different vitamins in it. And what are they supposed to do? Some of them help you see better. Some of them make your hair grow more and your nails. Others are supposed to help your skin. Others help you, your mood, whatever. Vitamin D and all these different things are in it, right? But it's one little thing. This is how grace works. We're going to talk about grace. It's one little thing, but it's got all kinds of stuff in it that accomplishes all kinds of things in our lives. So I just want to, I want to look at a couple of them this morning with you. And this is where your handout comes in. I'm just going to reference the verses. We're going to smoke through them pretty quick. Um, but I want us to expand. Maybe this is not for you. For me, this was expanding my idea of grace. This, this helped me to wrap my brain around how multifaceted grace is. So I want to give you some of these categories. The first one is this. Maybe you've heard this before. There's something called common grace. So Jesus said in Matthew 5 that God makes his sunrise on the evil and on the good, he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. There's other places in scripture where God says this, where there's common grace that is poured out on people in general, which is why your, your neighbor's garden grows as well as yours. That's kind of what Jesus is saying. That's why he has food in his fridge and you have food in yours, because of common grace. So your house, your furniture, your appliances, your car, your job, your family, your health are all of grace. Now, I don't always believe that because I think, well, actually, I kind of earned those things, didn't I? I deserve those things. Listen, how many think that you've been so good this week that God owes you those things? House, furniture, appliances. You haven't been. So listen, every meal you ate this week, every moment you slept, every step you took, every thought you thought, every emotion you felt, every hug, every kiss, every friend, every family member, every sunrise, every set, sunset, every single blessing from life itself to the sugar you put in your coffee this morning was all of grace. It's all grace from beginning to end. Every second of every day you live is the result of the grace of God. So I brought my grace box. You guys all see this? I did this primarily because I knew some of the younger guys would be in here, but I like visuals. It helps me to remember. So I brought some things that I thought of that, like, I don't think I could go without. So the first is my pillow. If you saw our bed, it has way too many pillows on it. I love mountains of pillows, and I just want to jump on top of all of them. This is, this is grace. So when you go tonight and you lie down on your pillow, I didn't earn this pillow. I don't deserve this pillow. I deserve damnation. And I got a pillow. <laughs> Something else. This is universal. Bacon. Okay, I mean, come on. Sorry, Caitlin. Bacon. Other than bacon, other than Caitlin, I think everybody loves bacon. 
God's gift to man. If I could sleep on a pillow of bacon. But you guys got to think this way. Everything you have, everything you touch is really grace. It's all God's grace. So the second one on your, on your outline here is saving grace. This is the one probably we're more familiar with. This is the one we sing about more. This is the one we talk about more. Um, and so there's, there's a bunch of verses on here, and I, I tried to highlight stuff to make it easier for you so we could kind of move quickly. But you guys have read these verses before. So here's that remnant verse again. Uh, they are chosen by grace. Let me get one to make sure I'm not... Mine isn't different than yours. So he begins with this idea of remnant that we are chosen by grace. So God's people, you, if you're a believer, you've been chosen by God. That was because of grace. God didn't go, wow, I don't know, you know. He's awful good looking. He's really smart. All right, I'll choose him. That's not how it works. It's grace. We don't understand fully how that works, but he chooses us based on just grace. That's how God works. Look at the next verse. It talks about we are justified by grace and there is redemption by grace. Look at Titus 2. Because of grace, salvation comes to us. In Ephesians 4 verse, there's a whole litany here of things that happen by grace. You are made alive together with Christ because of grace. You've been saved by grace. I'm just highlighting the stuff in the red. We are raised up with him because of grace. We're seated with him in the heavenly places because of grace. He shows kindness towards us because of grace, and we're saved by grace. In Romans 5, we get righteousness and eternal life because of grace. And then in Titus 3, 7, it says that we are justified by his grace. So your salvation start to finish is all because of grace. Grace does it all in your salvation. Grace is responsible for you being saved, for your redemption, for your righteousness, for your justification, for your adoption, for your eternal life. It's all of grace. Jesus forgives us, loves us, redeems us, justifies us, adopts us, and reconciles us to the Father because of grace. From beginning to end, Literally, every ounce of your salvation hinges on grace. Because it's either grace or works. And I'm so glad God's word is so crystal clear that it's never about our works. Jesus really is full of grace and truth. And because of his blood and his sacrifice, we who deserve punishment now get blessing. The third little category I put together here is a spiritual gift grace. Maybe you've heard of that. When you've studied spiritual gifts, it talks about their grace gifts. Literally, that's how it is in the Greek. They're grace gifts. So in the three verses you see there, all I want to have you do is see the connection between gifts and grace. Gifts and grace. Gifts and grace. So whether you are out and about in your day and someone needs prayer for healing, God will give you the gift of healing. It's all by grace. He's not looking to see... I don't know, are they worthy in order for me to give them the grace of healing to heal the person? That's not where he's looking. It's grace gift, so it's just given out freely. So whether it's healing or prophecy or serving or generosity or exhortation or leading or acts of mercy, they're all of grace. They're gifts God gives, not based on our behavior. Am I Okay. Maybe more familiar with that one. The next one I'm going to call strengthening grace. Or maybe we call it sanctifying grace. You choose. But you can see in the verses that are under there the connection between 
grace and us being strengthened. So in 2 Timothy, it's we are strengthened by grace. I love the verse in Hebrews. It is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, but by the grace of God, Paul says, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On contrary, he says, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that was worked within me. I love that. I worked really hard, but it really wasn't me. It was grace. I did my best, but you know what? It was really just grace. In other words, God gave me the strength and the ability to work hard. He gave me what I needed to work. In 2 Corinthians 9, it says that God is able to make all grace abound to you. That's a beautiful sentence. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency or having everything that you need in all things and at all times, you may abound in every good work. In context, a good work there is being a cheerful, generous giver. So saying God's able to make all grace abound to you. He's going to give you everything you need all the time so that you can be free to give cheerfully. And then Hebrews. I didn't think about that, this verse in Hebrews this way until this week. Let us then with confidence draw near the throne of grace. Another whole category we could explore. A throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help. Yeah, any of you guys ever need help? Find yourself in a time of need? It says you go to the throne of grace and he gives help. So grace comes to us in the form of help. You need help? There's grace to help each one of us. All right, so I'm moving too fast through these. So kids, here we go. I'm going to back up to one. The last one we talked about was gifts. Gifts. So whether it's prophecy or teaching or healing or serving or speaking, here's gifts. That was the second one. And now i got to get the third one out because the third one we talked about strengthening. Strengthening. That's what grace does. God puts grace in you to make you stronger. To give you strength to do stuff that you don't otherwise want to do or you can't do. Grace comes to you in a way that gives you strength so that you can work harder than you think you're able to work. So you've got strengthening grace that God does for us. The next one is training grace. And these, these overlap. Four and five overlap a little bit. But I want to show you why they're distinct. Training grace. If you look at Titus chapter 2, it's very clear. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So grace brings salvation. But then it also trains us. It trains you to live differently. So grace has a training factor to it. And then you guys know these verses probably well from 2 Corinthians, where Paul has his thorn in the flesh. And he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Take it away, Lord. Take it away, Lord. Take it away, Lord. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest in me. His grace is sufficient. In other words, when you're facing something hard, God gives you a grace that allows you to handle it in a way that is sufficient, that you can understand. And this leads us right back to Colossians, to the end of Colossians. So I don't know if, you want, if you are there, you want to go back there to that last verse, because it ties it together. And I saw this, I actually laughed out loud 
as I was meditating on these last verses. What word in Colossians chapter 4, verse 18, comes right before the word grace? Say it out loud. Chains. Remember my chains, grace be with you. Remember my chains, grace be with you. And I don't think Paul, I think they're meant to go together. I don't think Paul was like, remember my chains, I got to go to the bathroom. And then he came back 10 minutes later, I got to end this out, grace be with you. I don't think that's how it works. I think there's a link. I think there's a link between this. I think there's a connection Paul wants us to make between, remember my chains, grace be with you. Remember my chains, grace be with you be with you. I don't think they're separate thoughts. I think he put them back to back so that we would try to connect them, so we'd understand them. And here's why. If I'm closing a letter like this, here's what I'm writing. Remember my chains, bring me some food. (laughs) Right? Remember my chains, could you bring me a pillow? Remember my chains, and could you please remember to talk to the governor so that he might release me? Or remember my chains, but could you please like put a little protest together for King Agrippa and Festus because I am a Roman citizen after all. That's where I'm going. Paul goes, remember my chains, grace. And so I think as Paul was in jail and he was in chains, I think he was sitting there and I think he saw the chains on him and he was writing, you know, I don't know how he did it, his hands were tied and he's writing, I don't know where the chains were. But I think he looked at his chains and he went, wow, remember these chains? Grace. Oh, I'm in jail with chains. Grace be with you. I think he saw something that maybe we don't always see. I don't think we always see our chains as grace. And I think Paul saw his chains as grace. As God actually treating him better than he deserved. I think he looked down at his chains and he thought grace. He looked at his prison walls around him and his heart beat with the grace of God. I think there are many things God is doing in our lives right now in order to train us, to sanctify us, to set us more free from sin so we'll enjoy him more. And those things, those ways of him, if you want to use the word disciplining us to get our attention, those trials, those things that come that we might not call chains, but perhaps we should call them chains, I think we need to see them as another expression of grace. So maybe some application for this morning. When you see your quote-unquote chains, do you think grace My next second says, when your kids are, (laughs) fill in the blank, do you think grace? When you see the mask on your face, do you think grace? Do you think, I have a face to put a mask on? I don't know what's going on in your life with your job or your finances or the stress in your marriage or health, all the things that are going on in your life. But are you able to look at them and go, grace, I'm still being treated better than I 
deserve. Let me elaborate just for a moment. If you suffer this morning or are afflicted or are not getting your own way or people aren't doing the things you want them to be doing, are you filled with anger and complaining or do you look at them as actually the grace of God in your life? See, if everything is in our lives is from the hand of our gracious God for the purpose of blessing us, sending us more free from sin, making us like Jesus, than even trials, right? Even suffering and sickness and persecution, chains and imprisonment are really other forms of grace. Because everything we get short of death is God's kindness to us. So I think chains and I think grace for Paul were meant to go hand in hand. Well, I hope those few categories help you to see that when Paul says, grace be with you, he has a lot in mind. He's not thinking one category. He is thinking grace be with you. He is thinking, he is thinking common grace. I forgot to pull this one out. He is thinking saving grace. He's thinking gift grace. He's thinking strengthening grace. He's even thinking chains grace when he writes that. I, I hope that if I could get inside your brain next week and find the word grace and double-click on it, things would explode. <laughs> There'd be more categories even here. There's 124 verses in the New Testament on grace. We obviously did not look at all of those this morning. So there's more. Grace is much bigger than I originally anticipated it was going to be. So I love this, that Paul begins every letter with grace to you and ends with grace be with you. It's like he begins every one saying, you have grace now to you. And then he looks into the future and he says, and grace be with you in the future. Grace be with you in your days to come. It's like he says, there's grace now and there's going to be grace tomorrow and the next day and the next day. It's almost like Paul's confidence in God's past grace because of the work of Christ gives him confidence that God will give him the grace to handle whatever is coming now. And now. And now. See, grace be with you means grace be with you every second in your future, which is right now. But now that's in the past. And right now that's in the past. Every second you receive grace, a reservoir of grace is built up in your past for all the things that Jesus has done to bless you. And not only does that reservoir keep getting bigger and bigger every second, more grace, you're alive, grace, blessings, grace, salvation, grace. All the graces are building up. Your future is not getting any shorter. So you have grace ahead of you for eternity, but every moment, every second, there's more grace filling up your grace swimming pool behind you. More grace, more to be thankful for, more that he's done. Every one of these categories and more of things he's doing for you every second of every day of your life, mounding up, the mounding up, second after second, another gift, another experience of more strength, another encounter with chains, and the grace just keeps piling up over and over again. And this grace Jesus pours down on us at Calvary secures all of these future graces. And I need future grace. I need future grace. Grace. I need grace to cover yesterday's sins. I guess I need past grace <laughs> and sins and failures. I need grace right this second, lest I get what I deserve. This moment, I need grace to help me with my shortcomings, to give me strength, to help me think clearly and live and 
I need grace for tomorrow. Otherwise, I will collapse with anxiety right now. I need grace tomorrow. And I need grace on my death day, or I know I will drop hopelessly into the fists of an angry God. So I need grace. I need grace in every way. And my only hope is that God's grace will be with me a second from now, and another second, and another second, as my life ticks by. So when Paul closes with grace be with you, it's no small thing. He's saying, may God give you, the undeserving sinner, every blessing you need in this life and in the life to come to live and enjoy your God. Four little words that could so easily be overlooked. Grace be with you. I pray we use those words with each other, not in a weird kind of way. <laughs> that will be our new catchphrase as a church. But at times we we'll have to say to somebody, hey, you know what? Grace be with you. Whatever's coming your way in the next millisecond or the next week, grace be with you. Whatever form of grace you need, may it be on you. Whatever kind of grace you need for the things you don't even know are coming, may that grace be with you. May we pray for one another that way. Grace be with you. May our grace, grace be on you. May God give you what you don't deserve. And may he bless you instead. I want to end with, I, we were going to do a benediction, but I'm just going to end with this and we'll sing a song. This is Ephesians chapter 1. I think we have that benediction slide. I love what he says. Paul says, in love... He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace. I pray this week, this week as you go about your day, you will be able to praise his glorious grace. That our eyes will be open to all the multifaceted ways that God pours grace down us and we would praise him for it. <laughs> praise him for all of the ways he pours his unmeasurable, amazing, glorious grace down on our lives. Amen. 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 Can we sing?